Amen. Just, just before I get into the subject of the morning, I just want to thank everyone who's managed to come out and pray. I just, it's been fantastic. You know, I, you always kind of look, look ahead to these kind of events and think, you know, with a bit of trepidation as to, you know, I've got to lead two and a half hours of prayer in one session and then have a break and then another hour and a half. Um, but actually, we've just been amazed by the presence of God, just the prayers of faith that are coming, and just the, the words of God that are kind of coming very clearly already. So if you haven't already been able to get to one of the meetings, do come in from 12 o'clock onwards to 9 o'clock. We're going to be continuing our 24 hours of prayer, and I know God has much more in store for us. So do come along. Um, I'm going to talk for a couple of weeks on the one subject that is boldness. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it for a few reasons. Um, Firstly, because I have this theory. My theory is this. Despite the fact that what we are all currently experiencing from God is amazing, I believe that there is more available. That is not being ungrateful for all that God has done for us and is doing for us. I'm I'm convinced there's this kind of longing still that there is still more available to us in Christ. A, A deeper experience of him and a greater harvest field and greater fruit than what we're even currently seeing. And maybe you agree with me. That, so that's kind of the first reason I'm talking about boldness is there's a kind of a sense of a longing that there's something more. Um, about a week ago, I sent our members and our regular guests a flyer that looked a little bit like this and probably confused most of you, if not all of you. Um, and I claimed that we would talk about something that could really transform your life. Now, many products like the one that has been kind of parodied a little bit here, um, washing powders, claim... Use our product and it will transform your life. You'll never be the same again. You have these adverts of this, this child that goes out into and plays and rolls around in the mud in a nice white t-shirt. I mean, whoever sends their son out into the mud in white t-shirts, but that's fine. He comes back, he's been playing with beetroot juice and blackcurrant juice and rolling in the mud and he kind of comes to mum a little bit sheepishly, you know, oh, look what's happened, mum. But the mum's got this wry smile because she knows something. She knows... She knows that bold can handle it. She knows that it will always be happy families and the, the t-shirt will come out whiter than it was even when it was bought because of this product. And they're telling us, get this product and it will transform your life. Get this product, you'll have happy families forever. But the more I think about it, in contrast to those kind of worldly promises, I am convinced that bold is the key to a transformed life, to a real commit, contentment and a real joy as I wrote on the fly, and as I write on the flies, a dazzling results and a glorious finish. I don't know about you, but that's two things I want for my life, two things I want for this church. And it isn't that we're trying to add to what Christ has already done for us. I'm not talking about somehow improving on our salvation. We remember at Easter, Jesus' cry was, it is finished, which means that everything that had to be done was done for our salvation. I'm not talking about adding to that. I'm not talking about doing things to assure our entry into heaven. We often have, you know, in the jokes, we have this kind of conversation with St. Peter at the pearly gates, and he's somehow trying to decide whether we're allowed to get in or not. It won't happen like that. It will be a, if St. Peter is at the pearly gates, it will be a merely welcome to paradise moment. I'm not talking about kind of adding to our salvation. I'm, I'm talking about the life of the Christian that we're enjoying and the rewards of heaven. Because I want to talk about decisions that we make here to change things in here and to change things out there that will determine our effectiveness for God and the fruit of our lives. 
Jesus promised in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And yet you look around and you even see Christians who are so uh, failed to live in out that life. Many of us just, we simply survive when God calls us to thrive. Many of us live and we feel overwhelmed by situations where God has called us to be overcomers of situations. We merely settle for the perceived normal life of this is what it's going to be like as a Christian rather than, as um, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.15, he says, encourage them to take hold of that which is truly life in this world. And rather than blaming circumstances about when we were born or the richness or the busyness of our culture, I'd rather us go after what has been commanded of us so that we see the things we're not currently seeing. So that's kind of the first reason. I've got a few reasons for why I want us to talk about boldness. And that's really, there's a a kind of a a sense of a personal longing. Perhaps you share that with me as well. The second reason I want to talk about boldness is I've got this sense of God speaking. And I feel that God has been speaking to me about this for some time. And for about a year now, I've been living with these three words. Bolder, better, bigger. And you know, I've just kind of been praying over them and seeking God for them as to what it's really about. In partnership with the other elders and with the leaders. And we've kind of been thrashing this out a bit and praying into this. And these, cause these three words came to mind. Now, obviously, because it's God speaking, you know, no post-Bible prophet hears perfectly. It could just be me. I don't think it is. I think it is God speaking to me and, and to this church. Um, one of the re- ways I often work out if it's God speaking is if I want to hear it or not. Generally, if I don't want to hear what he's saying, it's probably God. If I do want to hear it, then it's probably me. I, I kind of wear that around. And boldness is one of those things for me. It's one of those, I know it's right, but I'm, I don't really want to do it, if I'm being honest. You know, the earthly me, the earthly Ben, you know, he, he, wants, he wants all the stuff. He wants us to be bigger and better. He wants more moments like last week. You know, fantastic. Wasn't it great to baptize? Guys, wasn't it great to hear testimony? Wasn't it great to have guests who are hearing the gospel through testimonies and through the word? You know, I want all of that, but I want God to do all the work. You know, that's the earthly me. I want, you know, I want all, all those things that we want. I want us to grow as a church, but I, I don't want to do anything that makes me uncomfortable in any way. I want God to kind of do everything and I can just, you know, naturally grow in size and maturity. And maybe if you're honest as well, that you, you would say the same thing of yourself. You know, I want God to do more things, but I'm not really sure if I actually want to be doing the new things myself as well. But when I look at the heroes of scripture and of, of church history, bigger and better never came about automatically. And being a Christian for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that it will lead to a better, more Christ-like and a bigger ministry and bigger fruit. And the fact is, the more you look into it, you realize how Christian longevity, the, the time I've been a, a believer, is in fact irrelevant to what we see God doing in our lives. And so there's this kind of sense of God speaking about boldness as well. Another reason I wanted to talk about it, and it certainly won't be the first or the last time we talk about it, it will be um, over a series for this season of the church. And the third reason is it is a command of God. You probably know the most common command of the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not, as the old, more traditional translations would have put it. That is the most commanded attribute of the believer, is that they would be bold. And this is quite helpful because actually, number one and two, I could have got wrong. 
You know, that could have been just me. That could have been someone else speaking. I could have had a, you know, cheese the night before, that kind of thing. It couldn't, may not have been God. But actually, it did confirm by what God has already said to us in his word. We need to be very careful because I know many Christians who have a sense of a personal longing for something. They think they've heard God speaking, but then it conflicts with what the Bible says. And obviously, we can throw that out. But this one doesn't. It confirms what God has been saying to us. And what's even great as well, if you don't really think I should be talking about boldness, I may not get you on reason one, I may not get you on reason two, but I've definitely got you on reason three. It's commanded. You haven't got a choice. I'm going to talk about boldness for those reasons. Before I do this, I want to show you a clip, a movie clip, and um, kind of just to give you the context of our boldness. And I'll explain if it needs it later on.
love that moment where the formidable army are retreating and yet still to, um, to make up a defense. And you have Lucy. Lucy standing, the young girl, on her own, and she pulls out this puny dagger. And uh, often when we're doing both things with God, we can feel like that. We can feel that we have this puny dagger and we have this formidable enemy adversary against us. And then suddenly you see the reason why they had stopped, because Aslan, the great lion, is behind her. When Joshua was on the brink of the promised land, he was told, um, Joshua 1, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you are. We are to be bold and able to be bold only because we have our Aslan standing right beside us. Joshua could be bold on the brink of the promised land and all the battles he was about to face because God had said, I will be with you always. We're not to be stupid in our boldness. Lucy standing there with a dagger is stupid if Aslan is not behind her. And perhaps as well, you, you know for yourself, maybe there's a longing in your own heart, but you know that you're not a believer, you're not, you don't have God in your life. Just to encourage you, you know, Aslan was a fictitious version of Christ, and look what he did with that water. Jesus is the real Christ, and he can do much greater things when we are with him. So that's kind of the context, very briefly. And so over the next two weeks, I want to present ten characteristics of the bold Christian. And there's going to be quite a lot of overlap in these things. But, you know, that isn't surprising because, in a way, all these things build to form the heart of a bold Christian. And in one way, they're all kind of just outworkings of the same heart attitude to be bold for God. So I'm going to look at five this week and then five next week. And I want to challenge you all that it's not that some of those are for some people and some aren't. If you are a believer in Christ, then you have signed up for all of these things. Now, some of those things may have greater relevance to your life at this particular moment. We believe in what we call the now word of God, which means that all of all of scripture is applicable at all times. But God kind of sometimes points his finger at particular things for particular people in particular moments, mostly to stop our brains exploding from too much information at one time. And he points to things in our life. And so maybe you'll find, actually, as we go through, maybe there's a few today and a few next week, that you just feel a real kind of prompting and a prodding of God over those things. And to, if you feel that, you know, begin to pray into it, begin to chat with people. Even better, begin to do the stuff. And I'll try and help you with some application for those points. So five aspects of boldness this week. Firstly, we are to be bold in faith. You know, when we talk about faith, probably the first passage of scripture you think of is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then you have this great summary of the Old Testament heroes and their faith. And many people read Hebrews 11 and think, you know, well, it's just about belief. It's, It's, you know, Abraham believed and, you know, that was his faith. And then we kind of make faith into some kind of ethereal concept it's just something to either be possessed or not to possess. It's, you know, well, I've got faith, and Hebrew says that faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. I've got faith, therefore God is happy. Everything is well. But really, when you read the passage about in Hebrews 11, it doesn't talk about actually what they believed. It talks about what they did. Their faith, their understanding of God, their trust in him, their love for him, made them do some extremely strange things. It says in Hebrews 7, it says, yes, Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. But look how he showed he had faith. Look how we know he had faith. He left his home aged 35 to go and live in tents because of a promise from some God he'd never met. 
he was he trusted God for a son even whilst he was planning his hundredth birthday party. That's what his faith led him to do. It says later on that Moses, Moses had faith. Yes, he had faith. But the faith that was strong enough for him to leave the throne room, leave that prince of Egypt status and live as a wanderer in the desert with a grumbling bunch of people. Hebrews 11.33 says, Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lying, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And to most of us, that just seems very Old Testament, doesn't it? You know, well, that's, that's good for them. We've got different challenges today. But in a way, we haven't. Because we are called to do all those things through faith. We're called to conquer the enemy territory, even here in Billingshurst. We are called to administer justice in the streets and our schools. We are, there, we are here to claim the promised harvest that is ours in Christ, to shut the mouths of those who will slander and dishonor God. You know, as James wrote, he says, it's, it's not enough to say, well, I've got faith, therefore God is happy. He says, rather, faith, I have faith, and look at the crazy things I do because of it. And this is kind of the starting point for all the other ten, all the other nine. This is where it begins. It's a decision like James, who says in James 2.18, he says, I will show you my faith by what I do. And this isn't merely just a, a once-in-a-lifetime moment. We can't say, well, I, you know, I've got faith, and therefore, I, because of that, I moved house seven years ago to plant this church, or I did this thing many years ago. or I, you know, Actually, it's, it is that, but it's everything else as well. It is going to the office every morning, believing that you're going to demonstrate God's existence, his love, his power, his character. We're going to demonstrate it by how I work today, how I treat my boss and my colleagues, how I demonstrate compassion to those who need it, how I look for moments where the gospel can be preached. That's faith. John Piper the, was a great author. He says this, some people Believe in let go and let God. I would rather believe, trust in God, and let's get going. Perhaps you're a let go and let God kind of Christian. A bit passive about the things of God. A bit of, you know, well, if God wants to break in, then he's very welcome. He did. He did break in. He broke into your life. He broke into your life when you were far away from him. He broke in with grace and mercy and love. And now he expects those people whose lives have been broken into to then take what has been given and spread it out. Let go and look, let God. It sounds so nice, doesn't it? It sounds very, you know, it sounds very sweet, isn't it? But it's just not biblical. It's not by biblical by command or by example. Let's trust God and let's get going. Application-wise for this one, you know, this is a daily decision we have to make. Today, this day will count in God's plans because I am a man of faith, because I am a woman of faith. It's a decision, a daily decision to say, God has put me here to demonstrate my faith by good works. Maybe you want to memorize that James 2.18 quote. It says, I will show you my faith by what I do. That is what, that's how we apply number one, by agreeing with James. And then once we've got that one, all the other ones become possible. So let's look at some more. Secondly, second characteristic, they are bold in, faith, in, uh, in values. Over the past year as a church, we've kind of nailed down the values of this church. Um, and as I said from the outset, I, I was expecting to lose people 
because of doing this. And I know that there are other churches who wouldn't dare do a value system like that for fear of upsetting people who have slightly different views or not wanting to kind of appear judgmental by, uh, about anyone's lifestyle choices. They didn't, wouldn't feel able to do that. But having started bold in our values, I want us to continue bold in our values. But again, I have to warn you that bold isn't always nice. We don't always get to hear nice things. Sometimes when I hear the values, I I realize that there's something in me that needs to change and has to change. Sometimes it means saying no to people who aren't living lives in in such a way that God is being honored. The church is foremost here to honor God's name and to see him glorified. It is not to be nice and to avoid offending everybody. Sometimes being bold in our values will mean we say no to gifts or to service if that's merely perpetuating an ungodly lifestyle. And the temptation is to be timid in our values, to hide away. This week you may have seen in the news Nick Clegg. My, I'm a huge fan. You probably know that. I'm a huge fan of Nick Clegg. Um, he called those who oppose gay marriage bigots. Um, in the original press statement, it, we were bigots. Um, later on, it was kind of reworded slightly to say some people who oppose gay marriage. Um, if you're interested, bigots are those with strong and unreasonable beliefs. And um, that is what we will be called. Sorry. A bigot is someone who holds to something that defies reason. And that is the price of being bold about our values. That is how the world, not just Nick Clegg, but everyone will label us. But I'd rather consider other labels that have been given to us by someone whose opinion I value slightly higher than Nick Clegg's. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13. Listen to the, these are the labels that God has already said over you and this church. You are the salt of the earth. It's a great label, isn't it? Better than bigger. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. How does salt lose its saltiness? By being no different from the food or the world it was supposed to flavor. Jesus continues, another label. You are, a, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is about being bold of our values. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Simply calling ourselves a church doesn't necessarily make us those things. We must be bold with our other world values, just as Jesus taught us. You know, one day the world may agree with Christians like they've done in the past, like they did over slavery, over prison reform, over children welfare, over human rights. One day they may agree with our, our otherworldly values perhaps they will never you know but we, we live in we live in a society that honors relativism relativism says that there's no such thing as absolute truth what is true for you is is that's okay everyone is equally true it's like the um manic street preachers album this is my truth tell me yours and uh my obvious response to a relativist is to make the statement all relativists are idiots and then ask them to prove their theory by telling me that I'm right. Um, but more likely, we will face ridicule and then opposition to our values. And that is why we must be bold. 
Because when we stand up for our beliefs, when we stand up for Jesus' value system about church, life, families, marriage, behavior, love, respect, service, whatever, the Apostle John says that we are shining light into the darkness, as Jesus told us to do in Matthew 5. But then he says in John, John 3, he says, the problem is that men like the darkness because their deeds are evil. So we need to be bold in our values to keep shining his light into this world. Second characteristic, bold in values. Third characteristic, moving on. Bold in prayer. Again, this is building to this, this bold Christian idea. Recently, I was reading a book on prayer, and I think it was a Selwyn Hughes book that's on the bookshelf still, but it may not be. But um, I remember it says that the ingredients of great praying are four things. That they should be selfless, reasoned, specific, and bold. Selfless, reasoned, specific, and bold. I think we do well with specific. I think we know what to pray. I think they're reasoned. I think we, we're, they're thoughtful and, and well thought through. I think for the most part, we're quite good on the selfless bit. I think we do have compassion for others, and we do care about their needs, and we do put their greater spiritual needs above our lesser physical needs. I think the one we really struggle with is boldness in our prayers. You know, as, as I've probably said in the past, I don't think us in the West, I don't think we've really learned to pray properly yet. We're getting there, I just don't think we're properly there. Because the God that we pray to doesn't always match up with the God that we sing about in these great songs. I don't think necessarily our praying has quite caught up with our theology. You know, we talk and sing about an almighty God, and yet our prayers are often addressed to the God of nice thoughts, positive energy. You know, Lord, my friend's going through this trial, can you just give him a bit of peace about it? You know, can you make him feel better? It sounds like the God of positive energy. We talk about a God who is mighty to save. Don't we love that song? You know, our God is mighty to save. And yet there are some people we won't pray for because we consider them to be too tough a nut, even for God to save. Oh, well, I won't pray for him because he seems so content in life. He's not looking for Jesus. Or I can't pray for her because, you know, she's so resistant to the gospel. Yet our God is mighty to save. What is boldness in prayer? It is laying hold of God and refusing to let go until we see him break through. Laying hold of God. It is praying with such expectation that God is able and willing to answer our prayers. What did Jesus tell us about prayer? Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. I mean, what a statement that is. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there any doubt in that, those statements? He then very cleverly relates our Father in heaven to our earthly fathers. And he continues, next verse. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Well, of course you wouldn't. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Perhaps for a joke, I don't know. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him in prayer? Basically, what Jesus is saying here, he says, the way you pray, the frequency of your prayers and the boldness in your prayers, you imply that earthly fathers are better at requests than your heavenly father. You see what he's doing there, what Jesus has done? He's saying that actually, well, you dads know about that. You dads know how to do it. So why do you see God as some lesser dad than you are 
to your sons. You know, when, when I want something of my dad, I just ask him. I don't petition him, I just ask him, Dad, can I have this? And if he doesn't really want to do it, then I get my sister to ask him. My sister is like our intercessor, okay? If mum or the other kids don't want, want Dad to do something or plan something or buy something, if he's not listening to us, we go to Hannah. Hannah goes to Dad. We have the same intercessor in heaven. Do you know that? We have Jesus Christ. And the Father cannot say no to Jesus Christ. He loves him so much. And you can imagine Jesus kind of leaning over, as my sister would do, kind of, go on, Dad. Go and do it. Answer their prayers. Look at what they're asking for. We, why don't we do it? Application moment. What injustices are there around you? Get praying. What situations do you know around you need breakthrough? Get praying. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is in, a, in that special way that he is in our prayers. Which means that the elders don't have to be there. doesn't mention an elder in there. doesn't mean it has to be necessarily a timetable prayer meeting. You can just say, guys, we need to pray. Let's gather to pray. Let's get two or three believers together and we're going to pray for this. That was wonderful initials, push, pray until something happens. Guys, let's do that. You know, it, this, is, this is why we're doing 24 hours of prayer. It's not so that we can have this nice label to say, look, aren't we brilliant? We've been praying. You know, 1 Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing. Look, we've been doing it since, seven, you know, since 8 o'clock last night. No, it's so that we can have hour after hour of God-honoring, earth-shaking, life-changing prayers being uttered. Let's get involved. Let's be bold in prayer. Fourthly, moving on quickly. Bold in our gifting. Very famous passage from Matthew 25. It's a parable of the talents. And it says, this is Jesus talking. It says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his abilities. Obviously, you know, we understand, you know, talent in those days was an amount of money, but now we, the kind of connotation is that it can even be a gift or an ability, a treasure in that sense. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more, but the man who had received one talent went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. There's the story. Three servants get talents. The bold ones were those with the two talents and the five talents. The timid one went and buried his talent in the ground. The bold ones, they, they, took, a, they took some risks, didn't they? They maybe bought into some investments. Maybe they bought some seed, expecting a greater harvest at the end of the season. Maybe they... You know, invested in some banks. Maybe they, you know, bought up some shops and, you know, carpentry shops in those days. They took some financial risks with the master's money. But they gained a reward and a return for his investment when he returned. Which one of those three servants are you? I get very challenged by that. I don't think we can say, well, you know, I've done it once, therefore I'm number two. Or, you know, I think it's a daily decision. And we need to begin to ask ourselves, when was the last time I really stepped out of my gifting? Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it last year? Can I remember stepping out in the gifting God has given you? Another verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, that is the gifts of the Spirit, are given for the common good. 
Now, I'm going to do a little bit of opinion poll for you now. Just to warn you, you may need to raise your hand at some point. So get ready, put stuff down, that kind of thing. Hands up if you believe that to each one means to those chosen few who have something to offer in the church. Put your hand up if you think that's what, it, what Paul means meaning. Good. Hands up if you think what Paul was really trying to say, if you look at the Greek, it says to each church leader, the manifestation is given of the spirit for the common good. Put your hands up if you think that's what Paul meant. <laughs> Thank you, leader. Thank you, leader. Hands up if you believe Paul meant to every Christian who has been a believer for more than five years, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Put your hand up if you're brave enough. What about maybe Paul means to each one who has the time on their hands? You know, maybe it's those who haven't got young families because they're just, uh, you know, wipe your time away. Or those with busy jobs. You know, it's not for them. Basically, I think Paul's saying to those single unemployed guys, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Is that what we think Paul is saying? No, I don't think he is. I think Paul's been a little bit more straightforward than that. I think he meant to each one as in to all of us. And you know what? We have to be bold in our gifting because it costs us when we give out. It sounds very obvious, but we often forget that. So if, there, if perhaps there's a word come or we feel a stirring to pray for someone, maybe we, we're only 70% sure it's God talking to us, or maybe even less. And we somehow think that if it was really God, then I would know, I would know 100% sure, definitely this is God, there'd be writing in the sky and everything. God wants me to do this. But God doesn't do that. And so when we do stand up and when we do stand out, it costs us to use our gift in it costs us in time to use our gifting. Because often the things that God gives us here, he, for here, aren't always given here. They're often given in devotional times at home when we're reading and praying with God and studying his word. It costs us in energy. Because in a way we have to stand, kind of wrestle with God over these things before him. In a way it kind of costs us even in ourselves. You know, I, I, I find standing up to preach costs me. It hurts. You know, and your response may be, well, it's a good job you're being paid to do it anyway. But um, I was preaching before I got paid to do it anyway. But, and yet I have to daily choose this job knowing that I'll have to stand up the front on Sunday and give a bit of myself when I preach. And so like most pastors, you know, come Sunday morning, we would happily swap our role for anyone, you know, anything else. Postman looks like a great job right now for me. Just, you know, do the rounds, it's great, nice sunny day, that kind of thing, and it won't cost you so much. But this is why we need to be bold in our gifting, because we know it's going to cost us. You know, in a way, it kind of, if we are British, it kind of costs us in our Britishness as well, doing our gifting. I find it so ironic that as a nation, we kind of punch above our weight with Olympic talent when we are so lousy at identifying talent in ourselves. I'm, honestly, I'm amazed we even have an Olympic squad because you can imagine it's like it, we're just so bad at identifying talent in our own lives. We can say, oh, yeah, the French are very good at that. The Germans are very good at it now. But we can't do anything. We, I'm, I'm honestly amazed we do anything. I'm amazed there's actually a, a, a person who stands up and says, actually, you know what? I am quite good at running, aren't I? Maybe I should do running. Or there's a guy who says, actually, no, I can jump over two meters. And probably that's quite a good standard of, of athletic ability. And maybe we do the same thing. Actually, people are encouraged by what I say when I bring something. 
actually, I find when I do pray for people, there is an element of the Spirit and there's a rising of faith in them. Learn to accept the gifting that God has given you. Learn to respond when God is stirring you to act. You know, I'm sure like me that you want to see more gifting outside of this environment as well as inside. Wouldn't you love to see gifting, spiritual gifting in the workplaces, in the schools? Wouldn't you routinely love just an impartation of godly wisdom and knowledge for situations to help us at work, at school or at home or with people? None of that happens without us being bold here. If we want healings in the workplace, if we want to get there on Monday morning, someone's unwell, we pray for them and we need to do it more here. That's where it begins. And as I spoke about earlier, it's, it's a myth for us to believe that we'll see more, better and bigger without a step of faith and a boldness from ourselves. It's a bit like expecting a harvest without planting any seed. Actually, a better analogy, it's a bit like throwing a load of seed on the ground and expecting a harvest without doing the hard work of digging the soil and turning it and getting everything ready for it and then watering it. What gifts do you know God has given you? Some of those may be spiritual. Some of them may be what we might call more natural, more everyday. You know, when you read the parable of the talents, you get this real sense of God's frustration and his anger. You notice there's nothing mild and meek, meek and mild about the um, master's response. Oh, well, never mind. It, they're there. It's okay. It's just a wasted life. You know, it's only one talent. It's you wicked, you lazy servant. And you get the, you get the heart of God in that. You get the heart of God who, who's done all the research. God does his research. You do know that, don't you? He thinks, okay, what does Bill and Sirs need today in 21st century? What gifting does he need? He looks at a workplace and looks and he, his heart grieves for those people that are lost. And he thinks, okay, what, who, who can I send to that place? And how can I equip that person to be my hands and my eyes and my feet into that place? And then he says, oh, yeah, Ben, I could send Ben to Bill and Sirs for that time because I've given him the gifts And then he just watches him bury his talent. You sense the heart of God. You sense how God's heart grieves for those who are far away from him. But then you realize how much more grieved he must be when those who profess to be his people and who have been equipped to do the job aren't stepping up in bold steps of gifting. Let's be bold in our gifting out of respect for the one who gave it to us, out of love for those who will be blessed by that activity. And when we're tempted to shy away, remember the giver of the gift will give back to you. When tempted to hide away, remember these are ways that God will know that that the world will know that God exists. No other religious faith believes in the supernatural like the Christians do. This is like our superhero powers. If you've ever wanted superhero powers, this is one we've got. We need to live differently because of it. So fourthly, bold in gifting. Fifthly, finally today, bold in evangelism. Funny how those first disciples who, you know, look like superheroes to me, realized they had to pray for this. It says in Acts 4, now, Lord, consider their threats. They've just been told, you preach Jesus, we're going to kill you. That kind of threat. And enable your servants to speak your word of great boldness. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You know, evangelism isn't about soapboxes on the street. It isn't merely about evangelistic courses and events, although they do have merit. 
It's about us living out the gospel every day. Church events are meant to aid our personal effort, not to replace it. Oswald Chambers writes, It is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we have not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things, to be holy in mean streets among mean people. You know, recently I, I read a book called Just Walk Across the Room by a church pastor called Bill Hybels. And um, I've kind of been living with this for probably about a month now. And it just feels like this kind of ongoing tape in the back of my head. Just walk across the room, Ben. And, um, you know, dropping Abigail off at school, just walk across the school playing field, just chat to that person. I was at a conference, just, just you know, that kind of tape again, really frustrating. You know, just walk across the conference hall, go and speak to that person. But amazing things happen when we step out of familiar conversations and often repeated conversations about football, trivia, weather, family, whatever. Amazing things happen when we begin conversations with someone new. Just walk across the room. I would love you to live with that statement in your mind. And if you read the book, and it's a great book, and we'll make sure we get it on the table, um, he talks about a 3D lifestyle. Three Ds based on this just walk across the room idea. Firstly, D, develop friendships. Discover stories Discern the next steps from the Holy Spirit. Develop friendships. Get to know people. Hi, we've chatted loads of times. I still don't know your name. Hi, I'm Ben. Get to know. Listen to their stories. See what excites them, what drives them, what scares them. And then thirdly, discern what the Holy Spirit's doing. Sometimes it'll be nothing. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes there'll be a leading and a prompting that the Holy Spirit will give you. You know, statistics show that the longer the someone is a Christian, their interactions with non-believers drop down to zero. Statistics show. And it, it won't happen automatically. It happens when we make a daily decision to be bold and we make the effort. But like Jesus at the well in John 4 with a Samaritan woman, you know, he developed a friendship. He heard her story. By the end of the day, all the village knew about Jesus because of that one interaction. You know, being bold in evangelism isn't about convincing people with the force of our conviction. It is being unashamed enough that God is able to speak through us and work through us. The Bible says it's not by might, it's not by power. It happens through my spirit, God says. And bold Christians open the door for the spirit to work. You know, and I don't see any soapboxes or turn or burn placards anywhere. Let's be bold in our evangelism. Let's tell them the good news. And even as we do it, in the back of our mind, we can have the bad news as our inspiration. You know, I think it's ironic that there's these save billing service banners all over the place. These people are so obsessed that we have to save the green spaces of billing service. They forget that within a millisecond, they don't know that within a millisecond of them dying, that this nice life they're enjoying in quite a lovely part of England's green and pleasant land will be swapped for this eternity of unspeakable horror. And they're obsessed about these green spaces, but there's this greater need that must be our inspiration to tell them about the good news. We mustn't miss the urgency of our role. And we must forget the idea that there are these full-time workers, you know, Christian workers, and then there's everyone else that kind of supports them. Now, your job is your vocation. That is what God has called you to do. You are there because God wants you there and he's called you there. Or if you know actually you're physically unable to do God's work, then you're in the wrong place and you need to move. The Bible says all are called, all are involved And in fact, actually, you living this out is even more important than me living it out. 
I don't need to save my office. We have a 100% salvation record in our office, you'll be pleased to hear. Job is done. (laughs) Application. Just walk across the room. Just walk across the room. Or the office space. Develop new friendships. Hear people's stories. Then discern. Just a quick prayer. Okay, God, are you, are you prompting me with something? Are you stirring me to say something or to encourage them specific to that person? More often than not, he will say something. It may not be the whole gospel. It may just be one word or one phrase that will speak to them in that moment. And it's better than... Because often we carpet bomb them with the gospel, just so you know, well, I'm going to get them at some point. Whereas actually when you listen to the Spirit, it's like a kind of a surgical incision that will meet their need where they're at. There's our five for this week. Let me finish this morning's half of the talk. You know, the most common reason we give for not being bold is a fear of failure. I think, I don't know about you, but that is often my reason. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to mess up, make God, church, the gospel, look a failure. The American President Roosevelt said this. It's quite a long quote, but it's a great quote. The person who succeeds isn't the one who holds back, fearing failure, nor the one who never fails. The person who succeeds, rather, is the one who moves on in spite of failure. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the grey twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. An amazing quote, isn't it? God save us from the grey twilight life. From those who enjoy much and suffer, you know, who neither enjoy much or suffer much because they try nothing. You know, Romans 8 declares us to be more than conquerors through Christ. That doesn't mean that everything we do will work and succeed wonderfully. He hasn't promised this Midas touch for Christians, but he has promised that a final victory is his and we can gain victories in him in this life. Now, we're not going to see the whole of billions that are saved. I'm sorry if it's ruining your, you know, that would go against free will. That would be we decide, us deciding it for them. But we will see new things. We won't always see the expected answers to prayer, but we will see much more than we're seeing right now. I don't know about you, but I'd rather pray for 20 miracles or 20 healings and get five rather than pray for zero and get my target. And for me personally, I've kind of been living with this a bit. And I've just been really encouraged with this just walk across from as an example. I've just seen doors open in surprising places. I've seen new stories of people that I've walked across the room to chat to. And I just, I'd love you to try it. Please, just try it. I'd love you to enjoy some of the things I've been enjoying. And it's, you know, we're not, you know, I haven't seen anyone saved on the street yet. But I tell you what, I've had some great conversations with people and we've had some great moments. You know, I want BFC to be bigger. I want this hall filled every week, twice. I want us to have bigger influence in our community. I want baptisms like a weekly occurrence or at least like a monthly occurrence. I want us to be better. I want us to be more Christ-like in our activity and our attitude. I want this body of Christ to better represent the head. 
I want this to be a breeding ground, like a factory floor, changing non-believers into converts, then disciples and missionaries. And the things I want for this church, I want for my own life, for my own family, my own ministry. But that's why I'm so convinced that boldness is our role in this. Playing the waiting for God game isn't helpful because God is waiting for his people to step up. He's waiting for us to live the disciples' life that we've committed ourselves to. God is longing even more than we are for Billingsus and beyond to be impacted by his followers. Will we step up? Will we be bold in faith, in values, in prayer, in gifting, in evangelism? I'd love the band to come up. Can we? Is that all right? I'd, I'd love it. I want to want to close in prayer, but I also want to close just by singing one more song. And that was a song we ended our worship time with before, with This Is My Desire. And I felt it fitted so well with what I feel God's put on my heart. Um, because it is a desire. And yeah, sometimes we'll mess up and we'll go back to God and say, God, I, I tried, I was bold and I was stupid, you know. But there'll be other times we'll go before God and say, God, that was amazing. Look how you opened that door. Look how I just prayed for that gift, sought you for it, had it, and got to speak to this person. And look how blessed they are by that. I'd love us all to stand. Never mind. And um, maybe you can sing these words as a response if you feel that's for you. As I say, you, you can choose to receive it or not. No one's forcing you to do anything. I would just love to present a, a vision of a bold life and the, the glory that can be ours if we're willing to step up. And it is, I know we can do it corporately, but that's why I love this song because it is a, a personal decision. It's a, this is my desire to honour you. No one can make that decision. I can't make a decision for you. But if you do want it, even confused and unsure what that means for you, I'd love you to sing this song as a prayer of commitment. And, um, you know, there are so many things we can do, but it begins being bold in faith. It begins here. If you want to, we'll sing this through. I'll pray, then we'll close.